We're actually going to finish up the first uh, finish up the first chapter of First Peter, Peter's letter to the folks in uh, Asia Minor, modern day Turkey, and um, this is a powerful. Just a few verses again, and um, <clears throat> this morning. I'm calling this message Contagious Lovers. We'll find out why in just a moment. But I want to uh, start by reading these few verses. I'm reading from the NIV today. I kind of swap and change uh, Bible translations on which one I think feels that really gets the sense of the meaning of Scripture uh, for that particular passage. So I want to encourage you to read out loud with me this morning. So would you stand together as we read God's Word? So let's start out. Now that you have purified... I'm, not list, I'm hearing you guys. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for one another, love one another deeply from the heart. They are. Oh. I don't know where that. I'll turn around and read this then. Okay, let's do it from the. Let's do it right there. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Thank you, Lord. Bless your word, we pray, as we look into it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So again, in summary, a kind of recap, Peter's writing to a bunch of people he doesn't know, churches he didn't plant. They were planted and established by the Apostle Paul and his team over a period of years, in those missionary journeys we read about in the book of Acts. And but now Paul is where? He's in a dungeon, the Roman dungeon under the emperor Nero. And we know from history that it's only a matter of months before the Apostle Paul is executed by beheading. Very sad. And his churches that he's been the spiritual father of are struggling because their spiritual dad is now taken away and they know that it's probably not going to end well for him and so Peter steps in and writes a letter to encourage and help this group of churches this great group of believers scattered throughout cities in modern day Turkey back then it was called Asia Minor and it was part of the Roman Empire so Peter is basically helping people with two things it's helping them to see who they are in Christ, what God has done for them and is doing with them. And then secondly, how to deal with the problems going on around them, the persecution, the uh, rejection, and the sense of abandonment with Paul being gone too and his team not being there. Maybe some of them are, I don't know. But And this is really, just in these few verses, there's really only two major things that Peter is saying. The first thing he's saying is that God has purified us to be able to love one another. That's the first thing. And it's interesting that when he starts out, he says, now that you have uh, purified yourselves 
by obeying the truth. And so immediately we run into a landmine. Well, hold on here. I thought Jesus purified me. And Peter is saying, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth. And so we have to understand, what is it that Peter is trying to say here? Do we purify ourselves? Well, let's take a look at this. Let's look at um, 1 John chapter 1, verse 12. We read, John writes, To all who received him, speaking of receiving Jesus, to those who believed in his name, and again, believe is an action word. It means to trust, put our weight in, to lean on, to be reliant on, to be confident in. To all those who received him, believed in his name, he gave the right or authority to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, nor or a husband's will, but born of God. Okay, so we see that helps us get some context here. How do we get born again? We receive Jesus. We believe on Him. We put our faith, our confidence in Him. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, um, verses 9 through 11, and this is a little bit long, but and it's, this is a very um, powerful passage. Don't you realize Paul is writing to the Corinthians, who was one of the most, uh, it's the reputation is for being the most immoral, sexually promiscuous place in the world. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or are abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. He's talking about people that are choosing lifestyles here, okay? And now verse 11 just throws me. Some of you were once like that. And when I'm pointing out, I'm pointing back. I was once like that. I could list three or four of those items. Paul is saying to the church that in Corinth, you guys who are now the church, many of you, that was your background. But you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. We all look good here today. We look great. There's a bunch of good-looking people in this room. But we all come broken to Jesus. We all come broken, whatever flavor your brokenness is. Your identity has been shaped by parents and teachers and, and authority figures and, and all kinds of influences. Mike was talking about the influences that are pouring through cell phones. And we know what that's all about. Everybody here, probably everybody here has a cell phone unless you still have a flip phone. But Paul says here, some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed 
made holy, made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God who now dwells inside you and me that have received Jesus. So we go back to this. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, there's the key here. I don't purify myself in the sense that I do the cleansing work, the purifying work. No. I receive and allow Him to come into me and purify me through obeying. And again, that word comes from the word that means to listen, to really hear at a deep level. Obeying His call to become His child results in us being cleansed and purified. Peter is emphasizing our role of receiving what Jesus has done for us. So why is he emphasizing their choice? These people. Why is he saying, you receive Jesus. You you guys are purified because you received and obeyed the gospel when you heard it. I believe it's because he wants them to, to realize they've got skin in this game. This is, they have chosen Jesus, and whatever they're dealing with, they can't say, God, it's all your fault. Peter's saying to them, you guys, you are the ones that heard the word of God. You received God's Messiah. You're in this thing. You're in this battle, and he is with you. And the really cool thing he's saying here is that when you receive Jesus, when you chose to make him the Lord of your life, he moved in and he is one who is enabling you to have a love that you could never have apart from God. This morning, before I go further, I just want to ask, in case there's somebody here that that can't answer, is it have you personally said Jesus I want you to be my savior I want you to be my lord and master I want you to be God to be my king cuz nobody is going to be with the lord in heaven because of somebody else's decision each one of us have to make that choice for ourselves And the transformation Peter's talking about doesn't happen unless we step into it and say, Lord Jesus, come in, come forgive, wash me and forgive me, make me clean, move in by your spirit and transform my life. This would be a great day if you've never done it to say yes to Jesus. It's not hard to do. When I did it, I got down by the side of my bed and I just said, Jesus, I screwed my life up. I'm a mess, but I know you died for me and I know that you love me and I know if I don't give my life to you, I deserve to go to hell. And I said, Lord, if you can fix me, you can have me. And guess what? He's been fixing me for a long time. It's been like 45 years almost. (laughs) Notice that sincere love is the result of being purified and cleansed by the Lord. That love word love there is the word philos, or where we get the word Philadelphia. 
Philadelphia, of course, the city in Pennsylvania, which means the city of brotherly love. Philos means brotherly love or affection for one another. And so Peter is telling them when one of the results of, of, of Jesus coming into your life and cleansing you is that you start to love people and have affection for the people of God. That word sincere is the word, it's related to the word hypocrite. It's got an A in front of it, which means non-hypocritical. It means your love is not put on. There's no hidden agenda. You're not acting. It's not hypocritical. So do you have that love this morning for God's people? Because that's what he's addressing them to one another here. Do you have that affection for God's people? It should be something that's natural unless you have shoved it down because you got hurt or something. In churches and our church many times, we have lots of people that have been hurt in church. And God has provided a remedy for that, but you have to avail yourself of it. You have to reach out and participate in forgiving and asking God to heal you. Because you're only responsible for your choices. You're not responsible for other people's choices. But it's interesting, the next thing he does is he tells them, he gives them a command. He says, I want you to love deeply. Literally, that word means, it's a Greek word that means to be fully extended, stretched out. Love deeply. And now this is a different word for the word love here. It's not philos, which means brotherly affection, brotherly love, sisterly love. It's the word agape. We've heard that word before. It's a word that means to love sacrificially, to love not based on what you get out of it, but to help the other person. It's the Good Samaritan type of love. Remember the Good Samaritan came across the guy that had been robbed and beaten on the side of the road, and he, he went and worked, helped him. He dressed his wounds. And he gave him food, and he put him on his donkey and took him to a hotel and put him up for a few nights. That's what agape love looks like. So Peter says, you've got this Philadelphia love. You've got this brotherly affection for one another, but I want you to love on a whole new level. I want you to begin to love like God loves Loving enemies, loving discomfortable people, loving people that you don't really like to hang around. Loving the unlovable, we call them. And actually, everyone is lovable. Everyone is lovable. He says to do it out of a pure heart. A pure heart, the word literally means a heart that's been purified, a, a heart that's been cleansed of false motives. And, and when we, if you want to see if you have any false motives, just go somewhere and, and be around people that you don't normally hang around. Go to a red light district or a, uh, a place where there's really bad neighborhoods. And hang out with people there. You'll find out whether your heart is pure. And Jesus wants to do a work. He wants to move us 
from that Philadelphia, the brotherly affection for the, for the body of Christ to being able to love like God loves. And he's moved inside to be able to make us able to do that. And that's the second thing we're going to talk about in just a minute. But I want to just ask you, if you're purified and have that kind of love, why is Peter telling us to love deeply from the heart? Maybe he realizes that that one kind of love isn't so hard when we like people. But to love people that are different, to love people who we don't care for, that's going to need more of God's help and assistance. So this morning, how are you doing in loving? First of all, how are you doing in loving God's people? And secondly, how are you doing in loving the people that God is maybe bringing into your life to make you uncomfortable? It's easy to pretend, isn't it? It's easy to act. But to say, God, please, my heart needs to be changed. That's really what we need to be doing. So what does love look like? It's a lot more than the Boston song that was popular when I was in college. More than a feeling. Some of you guys remember that song. More than a feeling. <laughs> Apostle John tells us that we're supposed to love in word and in deed. Love, God's love, agape love, is an action word. And of course, the Apostle Paul gives us the most complete Definition, and I'm using Eugene Peterson's the New 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 uh, the Message New Testament to just list these 16 characteristics that come from verses 1 Corinthians 13 verses 4 through 7. So let's just read these real fast. So love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for yourself. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Think about these. Love doesn't strut. It doesn't have a swelled head. It doesn't force itself or its opinions on other people. It's not always me first. Some of these are similar, right? It doesn't fly off the handle. It doesn't keep score of the sins of others. It doesn't revel when others grovel. It takes pleasure in the flowering of truth. Puts up with anything, and of course that means doesn't mean putting up with physical abuse, okay? Those kinds of things. It's putting up, it's being patient with people, working with them. Trust, it trusts God always, always looks for the best. It never looks back. It keeps going to the end. So think about these when you think about some of the people that, that God has called you to love in your life that are not your cup of tea. Another thing that Peter mentions later on in his letter, chapter 4, verse 8, he says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. You ever think about that? 
Real love thinks so much about that person, the object of our love, that we think, how can I keep them from feeling shame, from feeling exposed? What can I cover? When you hear their story, you don't repeat that, things that would be shameful if others knew about them. If you don't feel this kind of love, and we often don't, then Peter's saying and Paul are saying, do it. Do it. When you do it, you start to feel it. When you reach out and care for people, when you meet people's needs, when you let God love through you, you start to fall in love with the people that God is loving. That's an amazing thing. God has made you and me able to love by purifying our hearts. Can you say this morning, this might be hard for some of you, not your comfort zone, can you say, I'm a lover? I'm a lover. God created you to be a lover. Think about that. Some of you guys, I'm a lover. You need to say that. We are. God changed us. Some of us used to be so hard, we didn't love. When Jesus comes in, he knows how to melt that hardness and turn us into lovers. And that's what he wants to do. Now he calls and releases me to love other people. Jesus is calling you and me to love other people. To love people that desperately need to experience God's love. We're supposed to be like fishermen, catch and release. We want to catch people with God's love and then release them to, to be transformed in that. Jesus is recruiting us, you might say, to be his lovers. Now, a lot of us go, I'm terrified of witnessing. I'm not evangelist. I'm not an evangelist. Anybody here besides me say that? Yes. I'm not an evangelist, but... I'm terrified to witness. But let me ask you a question. Can you love somebody? There's not a person in this room to say, I can't love people. And if you just reduced evangelism and witnessing down to the one word, love, does that make it a little bit easier? Does that make it a little more palatable, a little more acceptable? Oh, I can love them. I could mow their lawn. I could take them some cookies. I could give them a ride to the doctor. I can show love, usually through serving. The second major thing that he says is that he now explains exactly why it is and how it is that we can love other people. And there's three things here. First of all, he gives us a brand new life, which he calls being born again. Second thing is he plants us, plants in us his life like a supernatural seed. And the third thing he does is he declares us, he speaks over us a declaration, a rhema word about who we are. So let's start there in that. He gives us a new life. Okay, Dale, you on that slide? Look at that. It's right before that, Dale. Back up a little bit there. Keep going. I was moving through that. There we are, right there. Oh, gosh. Sorry. 
I'm glad you guys, some of you have your apps out and some of you got the notes. So he gives us a new life. Peter says, you've been reborn. When he does that, he, it's like he gives us a, a, a reset button for our lives. Remember, you remember the story in, in John 3 where Nicodemus goes to Jesus and he says, How, what do I do? And Jesus says, you have to be born again. I love the chosen, the way they do that. It's just incredibly powerful. And, and, of course, Nicodemus says, I don't understand how that can happen. And Jesus said, it's something the Spirit of God does. It's like the wind. You can't see it, but it's happening. You'll see the effects of it. Jesus, when we receive him and make him Savior and Lord of our lives, he comes in and he, he causes our dead, separated spirit person inside of us to be instantly connected to God. There's words in the New Testament like regeneration uh, that talk about what, that ha- what happens. That we become alive to God. We have a brand new life. That's what it means to be born again. Verse 23. Our spirits are now connected to His Holy Spirit. We become eternally living people now instead of eternally dying. And eventually our bodies will also be transformed at the resurrection. There's a day coming when all of our bodies are going to be made brand new, glorified bodies just like Jesus' body. I don't know about you, but the longer I live, the more I look forward to that day. Everything flows downhill with gravity, right? So the second thing he says here is that Oh, before I move there, now that we've been born again, we have a choice to live either by the Spirit and work with God, partner with Him, or we can stay, keep living in the flesh. And if we do, it says we'll experience death. Death on earth as well as death afterwards. If we just live for ourselves and let our flesh call the shots. And God's saying, I want you to live by this new power I put in you, the Holy Spirit of God inside you, wants to renew and transform you and use you. God wants to to partner with you. He wants you to come alongside Him with all the stuff He wants to do. Okay, the second thing He does that helps us learn to love, be able to love other people, is He plants in us a seed, a supernatural seed, which which Peter calls... You've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. So he uses this metaphor of God has planted a seed in you, a seed of his very life. This is really fascinating. He says three things. He contrasts this this seed that he's put in you with your own flesh, your own life apart from God. He says this seed is imperishable. In other words, it's never going to go away. Versus your life, which is temporary. Your flesh is dying. Second thing he says is this seed is life-giving. Versus withering grass. He uses the picture of withering grass. This is the season for withering grass, right? All my rhubarb plants are so big and huge, and now they're just gone. The third thing he says is this is enduring. It's not like flowers that fall off their stems. I stopped buying my wife 
bouquets of flowers because they're all dead flowers. And it's only a matter of a week or two when they all are, all those petals are now on the table. So I buy her living plants that we can put in our garden. Most of the time, we do. Even, um, what's the plants we give out at Christmas time? Poinsettias, yeah, love poinsettias. When we were in Africa, we saw poinsettia trees that was like 16, 18 feet tall. They're awesome down there in the jungle. Okay. So, our lives apart from Jesus, our physical lives, they're perishing. How many of you have seen uh, the videos that are popular on Facebook and stuff that show a slideshow of some famous person like Tom Hanks or Elizabeth Taylor or somebody, and it shows a picture of them as a, as a really young person? No, they usually start with a really old person like they look like now or before they died, and then it just kind of morphs back to when they were like a teenager. Shows all these slides, and they just kind of it just kind of keeps changing as they shift from being an old, ancient person to being a a, a vibrant-looking young teenage person, and and uh, those are fascinating to watch, and uh, some of us have lived long enough to see a whole lot of people that look so young and strong and virile, and and now they're they're old folks like me. I see classmates, pictures of my classmates. Ninety percent of them look like old people. There's a few that just seem to endure. I don't know why. It's the genetics, I guess. But most of them are gray and wrinkled and uh, a little bit extra weight, a little less hair, things like that. Some of them are unrecognizable. But that is what, that's, that's normal. That's where our flesh is going to go. Some of you are in the peak of your life. Enjoy it. It won't last it all goes downhill because God does not want us to put our confidence in the external things and in our flesh. He wants us to experience His life and there will be a day when we have brand new glorified bodies which I'm, we can't wait for, but um, we have to. You will one day die and it's time to focus on getting used to that idea because it helps you break away from putting all your confidence and all your focus into this life it doesn't last. The third thing that um, Peter says about how God has enabled us to love is that he's declared a rhema word over us. And this, this um, the verse there, you, did, you would never know that in English when it says, but the word of the Lord endures forever, and this is the word that was preached to you. Now, earlier when he talked about people receiving, what is it, verse... Uh, Verse 23, through the, uh, he says, You've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. That's the word logos. That word for word simply means the message of the good news. But this word here, where Peter says, The word of the Lord endures forever, and this is the word that was preached to you. This is the word rhema in the original language. The word rhema is a very different word. It's a word that means a word that is uttered by a living voice that has the power to affect the one receiving it. It's a word that has power. It's a word that changes us. 
In Romans 10, 17, we, we know this scripture is very common. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now, that word there is the rhema of God. It's telling us that, our, that faith comes to us by hearing, but it's not just hearing a message. It's hearing a word that God is sending to us to be received that will change us. Matthew 4, Jesus said that man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word of God, every rhema word of God that comes out of the mouth of God and it brings life. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word, every rhema word of God. And then Luke, um, Mary says, after the angel comes to her and says, you're going to become supernaturally pregnant with the Messiah, you're going to have a baby. She's and, and, you know, Mary, what, 14 or 15 years old. And what she says to the Lord is amazing. She says, let it be to me according to the rhema word of God, the creative, powerful word of God. And Peter is saying to you and me that I have spoken a word over you and you have received a word from God which will enable you to love God's people and to love the people that you've never been able to love before. So this morning, have you received God's Word? If you have, and if you know the Lord, that He's made that Word, He's given that Word to you, it carries His power. It should bring bringing change to you. These people we read, they received that Word through Paul and his team that shared that good news with them which is another expression of love, sharing that kind of good news. Maybe this morning you can think of who it was that shared that good news with you. The guy that shared it with me I met in college, and I've recently found him on Facebook, and now he's an old guy like me, a grandfather. And it's been fun to reconnect, and I was able to thank him. Thank him. David, thank you for sharing that good news with me. My life will never be the same. I've been changed. So in summary this morning, because I have embraced what God has done for me, I've received through my hearing and obeying the good news. God's planted inside of me the seed of eternal life. He's put His Spirit in me and you. And now He calls you and me to love contagiously, to infect those around us with God's love both those who have been reborn already, to love them, and to love those who are lost and dying and need the life of God. Because you and I, that are His kids, we have His life in us to give, and we have His love in us to share. As I close this morning, I just want to ask final three questions. Is there anybody in, this, in our church, in our local church, that you've been having a struggle with loving? Can you think of anybody in our local church that you are not affectionate towards? Someone may have said something to you that hurt, rubbed you the wrong way, you felt judged. 
99.9% of the time, they're not going to come to you and ask for your forgiveness because they're not even aware they hurt you. It's up to you this morning to clear that roadblock away, to forgive. Forgive means to release. Release them to God. It means to release the judgment, the anger, the hurt, to forgive. I just encourage you, if you can think of someone that you know you need to forgive, do that this morning. Let Jesus bring healing to you and freedom to you. He said to forgive as I have forgiven you. We know that we did not deserve to be forgiven. And you may not think that person deserves to be forgiven, but God chose to forgive choose to forgive you, forgive you when you didn't deserve it. Who are you to hold unforgiveness when God has forgiven you? Secondly, this morning, can you, are you willing to extend your love? Extend that word, extend your love to others, to the either people in our church or people that are just you're uncomfortable around, that are different from you. Maybe they're old and you're young, or maybe um, whatever it is. I don't want to go into differences, but people who are different than you, are you ready to love them through your words and your actions? Because that's what love really is. Feelings don't really matter. They tend to come if you, do, if you do the actions. And finally, are you ready to go through these doors? I love that slide. Go through these doors this morning and choose to love. Choose to love. Gracious Lord, we just thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for Peter's letter. Lord, it challenges us. It reveals areas that are uncomfortable. Because even though we may think we're pretty good at loving, Lord, there's, as broken people, we still sometimes carry baggage that gets in the way. So we just ask for you to help us. Holy Spirit, open our eyes and understanding to see things we need to deal with. Some of us this morning, Lord, may be saying, this is the first time I've really ever understood that I could love because of what Jesus has done in my heart. pray you'd help us, Lord. Help us not just to talk the talk. We're supposed to love in word and deed. Help us, Lord, to show love in tangible ways, both to one another and to the communities we live in, the people that we maybe have been judge, judging and saying they, if they just get a job or they would just do this or that. Help us to lay judgments down and just love people, to listen to their stories and to be tangible, to be Jesus with in my skin to show Jesus. Lord, we just thank you for this morning. I pray that, Father, there be any that need to come up and be prayed for, be prayed with, that they would be so bold and do that. We just thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for being with us today, for your help. We thank you for what you're doing among our young people. Oh, God, continue it, we pray. We just thank you for this day and this beautiful day you've given us. We ask that you bless each one as we fellowship together. We bless you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.